and welcome to yet another episode of the world's greatest boxing podcast, I Like Boxing with Joe and Joel. I'm Joseph Caulfield, joined as always by the one and only, the man, the myth, the legend, the boxing scholar, the man who knows it all, the one and only, Joel Illier. Joel, how are you? I'm good, thank you, Joe. How are you? I'm good. Did you like my introduction? It was awesome. You could you could be the next Michael Buffer, mate. I could be, couldn't I? No, you couldn't. I just need to hold, um, you know, rumble for about <laughs> a minute. Who's the other fella who's done it? Actually, I could be the next David Diamante. Yeah, why not? Just yeah. grow, yeah. Yeah, go cripple yourself, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a great start to this week's uh, episode. How, how are you in general, Joel? I'm good. I'm busy. Just working far too hard, mate. You know, is, you know what happened the other day, Joe? What? You'll be amazed. A tree fell on my car. Oh, really? Yeah, man. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, indulge us. Me and my dad have a theory that there was a tornado in the Holloway Road that has not been reported yeah. on Sunday at about... What time it had been about seven o'clock at night, something like oh, that, really? seven or eight o'clock. There was a couple of minutes of what we'll call severe weather. Yeah. Right? His garden's a wreck. We went outside, there was trees all over the place, all of that. When I tried to drive home around the corner, there was two roads shot because trees have come over. Yeah. There were four trees on Upper Holloway. It's all yeah. within a few hundred yards. Yeah. There was like trees pulled up, all this business. Yeah. Rest of the journey home. There was nothing. No oh weather gosh. damage nowhere, nothing like that. There was nothing pool, there was nothing. Dad drove his cab around on Monday, so I did not see any damage on Monday from this hellacious storm yeah. that we went through. Yeah. I think basically it was within, you know, a couple hundred yards of the original Shea Hillier. Yeah. So yeah. Just in terms of the damage to your car, did the tree hit your trunk? It did, but my trunk is sturdy. Mate. <laughs> barely a dent on it this sounds a bit dirty <laughs> <laughs> i think we should move swiftly on from this topic <laughs> might be right mate. <laughs> right let's jump into the boxing so there were no big fights on this weekend just gone and we obviously didn't do any reviews last week so we're going to jump into the previews for this weekend's action okay let's start off with katie taylor against carabajal so katie taylor defends her lightweight belts undisputed obviously and carabajal is an undefeated fighter from argentina i believe although having checked the record out earlier i think she's got 18 19 wins and only two of those by way of knockout this is a fight which Katie Taylor almost certainly will win. Carabajo hasn't been in anywhere near the level of opposition that uh, Katie Taylor. I mean, I, I envisage a fairly straightforward victory for Katie. And it's probably a fight she needs after that vicious scrap with yeah. Amanda Serrano, especially at her age, 37. She, yeah, she needs a little rest here. And this is, this is a little gimme, isn't it? On mm. her way to bigger and better things. Had a talk in on the Five Live Boxing podcast. With so did I, mate. It's very, very clear that this is a little a little pit stop on the way to a Serrano rematch, it yes. sounded like, didn't it? Yeah, And exactly. that's what we want to see. Yeah, that's exactly. I mean, what else makes sense? You know? Yeah, that's definitely the uh, the fight for her in, uh, you know, in so, the future. So there was some stuff after the first Ben Eubank fight yeah remember a lot of talk mum Barry Hearn 
And I think the fighters since saying that, you know, they didn't want to go in together again after an experience like that. It's so close to death. Yeah. You know, you don't necessarily, after a great fight that makes you lots of money and builds yeah. notoriety, actually, sometimes you've got to sit back and just go, I need to I need to look after myself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Although we're, we're all bloodthirsty. We want to see it straight away, don't we? But Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, I mean, Katie Taylor uh, obviously probably deserves a, a gimme fight, so I'm not going to... I wouldn't look down on her in the way that we look down at Tyson Fury. <laughs> we'll talk about his gimme with Derek Chisora. Coming up. Nice little, nice little feeder there, Joe. So, uh, Joseph Jojo Diaz against William Zapeda this weekend. Okay, Joe. Was that thing true that you sent me earlier? So, I sent, for our listeners, I sent Joel a Twitter thread on Jojo Diaz, who is allegedly uh, involved in a criminal case for sending inappropriate message inappropriate pictures should i say of his <laughs> is you know what to an his underage trunk. girl now from what i read the testimony it looked like it could well be true and there were quite a few comments on it i'm gonna throw this story out with a pinch of salt this wasn't obviously the story we were hit we were going to discuss the preview and actually i mean joe is a, on paper anyway a really good fight but if this story about jojo diaz sending inappropriate pictures to an underage girl is true then we could be you know i mean he could obviously be looking at a criminal sentence it'd and reputation fed- completely in tatters yeah i mean it'd be a federal crime in the us wouldn't it and he'll be looking at prison I yeah imagine, yeah like that so Let's look at the fight. So my my prediction is that I think this is going to be a close, really close fight. I think it could be, wouldn't surprise me if it's like a fight of the year contender. So two southpaws, Joseph Diaz strikes me as being the the, the better infighter, very good on the inside. William Zapeda has a very high knockout ratio, if I recall, Mexican unbeaten. And he's, yeah, he is a puncher. I think, however, Joseph Diaz has some of the skills to counteract that sort of come forward mentality and technique. Whether it's going to be enough to win, I don't know. I also, I mean, Jojo Diaz has been out of action for quite a while, so I think that's going to potentially have have an effect. I think I wouldn't be surprised me if William Zapeda wins a cl- sort of classic on points in a sort of tight affair. Be the sort of maybe it's the fight to send him to that next level. Yeah, I think I think this is the one. I mean, I've, yeah, I've got a similar reading of the fight in terms of I think that. As a Peter, for me, should edge it. Mm. Uh, it should actually be an excellent all-action fight. This one, mm. um, Peter being, you know, a really strong puncher and sort of busy fighter, and Jojo yeah. Diaz for such a skillful guy is busy. He's got a fantastic style to watch. He's yeah. really enjoyable. It, it should be a, a. It should actually be a really cracking fight. This one, styles should mesh delightfully. Exactly. All right, so let's move on to Vasily High Tech Lomachenko against Jermaine Ortiz. I mean, this should be, uh, you know, fairly straightforward yeah. win for Lomachenko. I don't know much about Jermaine Ortiz, do you? Not really. From what I watched, though, I wasn't exact. I mean, I didn't see anything that made me think. Yeah, yeah. Lomachenko might ha- might have some trouble. No, he looks quite basic. Yeah. And he he's a big guy at the weight, I think. He's not a small fighter. So that is something that's always going to cause Lomachenko problems. Yeah. Skills-wise, he doesn't match up in any way. No. And I think that Lomachenko should... This is a, a showcase performance, essentially, about mm. for Lomachenko. He should really 
really be well on top of this bout. This I is wish... the prelude to Vasily Lomachenko against Devin Haney, surely. Well, I think it is. Yeah. I think it is. I mean, uh, both Devin Haney and Vasily Lomachenko and Bob Arum, to be fair, all want the fight. They're all confident people, you know, everyone involved yeah. is confident in their man. Eddie Hearn will be confident in Haney because I'm assuming that Hearn will, Hearn will back, back in in charge of things. Is Haney still with uh, Matchroom though? He is. He always had a sort of loose agreement. The idea was that he had to go to over to top rank in order to make the fight yeah. with Cambosis. Yeah. And I think it was always a two-fight deal okay. or something along those lines. Maybe there's another fight in it. But mm-hmm. he was always going to go back to Eddie Hearn. Yeah. And Eddie Hearn was out in Australia for the fight. Yeah. Even though he had no hand in it. Yeah. Officially. Yeah. So, yeah, I, th- I think he is. Basically, everyone wants to fight. It makes a lot of sense for this happen. And it would be two of the best fights in the world going at it. It's actually one of the very best fights in boxing. Lomachenko, this is his return from his hiatus away from the ring due to fighting in, in the war in Ukraine. Yeah. We don't know how this is going to affect him. It's always that intangible. But I expect a dominant performance here. And Lomachenko is just my favourite fighter over the last God knows how many years. And yeah. I, I just love watching him fight. And I think we all do. And we should all celebrate when he's fighting. Yeah. We won't have him for much longer. And he does something that no one else has ever done. And you know, probably won't ever. He's brought his own style into boxing. Yeah. He's the first one of our lifetimes that's done that. Yeah. That's kind of made his own technical style yeah. stamp on the sport, which for such an old sport is quite yeah. remarkable. Do you want some tissues, Joe? You look like you're about to cry there. <laughs> <laughs> you like that Jim Lampley interview about when he did a One Man More Market and he <laughs> started choking up. <laughs> Well, have you ever heard it? It's like that. Have you ever heard the guy who phoned up Talk Sport once? Oh, to, gosh. To talk about, who was it? It was the um, uh, Mickey Quinn. And it was, and he just ended up, it was like a late night. It's like one o'clock in the morning, <laughs> stuff like that. And he's obviously just come home from the boozer. And he's talking about Mickey Quinn and he's this Geordie bloke. And he's going, oh, he was so good, man. It was just... There's so many goals. They're just like <laughs> crying about all the goals that Mickey Quinn used to oh score. Oh my gosh, yeah. Anyway, yeah, maybe I had one of those moments. Yeah, it was, it was a bit like that, Joel. Nah. Right, let's move on to the news. So, Zach Parker against John Ryder has been announced for the 26th of November at the O2. That's a good fight. Mm-hmm. We'll obviously do a preview nearer the time. Anything to say about that, Joel? John Ryder's come off this fantastic win, hasn't he, against uh, Daniel Jacobs? Yes. Because a long yeah. time ago now, so I was wondering what was happening. And that was a close fight, though, wasn't it? He got the rub of the green. I thought he was lucky, to yeah. be honest. I thought he got the rub of the green. Mm. He, he dropped far too many of the early rounds for me Yeah. in that fight. But it was a, it was a strange night, that, wasn't it? It was a uh, Ali Pali. It was, yeah. It was yeah. a very odd night of boxing. Yeah. Weird one. Dillian White against Jermaine Franklin has been announced. I think that's taking place in December. I I mean, I'm not too excited about Dillian White's return because, I don't know, I just don't see him going getting back to world level. So that response right there is why this is a huge fight for Dillian White because he's got a serious rebuilding job to do. Mm. I think that is the majority opinion. Yep. People have lost interest a little bit after his no-show against Tyson, Tyson Fury yeah. and that sort of awful night at that awful stadium. So, <laughs> You know, he's got work to do. Why is it an awful stadium, Joel? I don't know, mate. <laughs> 
because Tottenham played their Something Champions like League matches there Something recently. Like <laughs> Talking about Champions League, who cares? It's all about domestic football, mate. Yes. Terence Crawford against David Avanesian has been announced for the 10th of December, which is obviously quite disappointing for those of us who had high hopes that Terence Crawford against Errol Spence might might finally happen. I mean, this is a left. This is quite a left field fight in the sense that I didn't see this one coming, and. I just don't know what this fight does for Terence Crawford at all. Mm. You know, he if he wins, no one's going to give him credit. And if he loses, it will be a massive upset, which it won't happen anyway. It's a pure so, state busy fight. You know, yeah. And I mean, at his age, though, with his sort of legacy still to be, you know, really written, mm. it's not the sort of fight we want to see him, see him in. And there's been obviously back and forth between Team Crawford, Team Spence as to who's to blame. Uh, all very sad, really. It is. It is sad. It's a shame. And it's just boxing mm. sort of kicking itself in the nuts again, isn't it? Yeah. Right. As This is a story you sent me earlier. As per Dan Raphael, the Deontay Wilder Robert Hellenius pay-per-view sold a paltry 75,000 pay-per-views. So I think we discussed in the lead up to the fight that it was extremely low profile for mm. a Deontay Wilder fight. Yeah. And I think this just sort of bore that out didn't it yeah it, that is shocking numbers yeah I mean why is he going to care though I mean he probably got a guaranteed few million for it well his promoters should care but he should care he should care about his profile but I mean you're absolutely right but it's going to hurt his yeah. power in negotiations against any decent fighter now yeah you I know, suppose that's a good point yeah yeah because on one side you know on a sort of a one side heavy pay-per-view mm. He, he can't sell. And that's yeah. what it looks like. He needs a dance partner. Whereas yeah. Tyson Fury, let's face it, he's going to sell against anyone. Yeah, exactly. So it, it will really hurt his power. I mean, that immediately different uh, sets Anthony Joshua way apart yeah. from Deontay Wilder as a, a commercial yeah. prospect and proposition, which would make it interesting if they're going to fight you know they talk about it and makes it interest because you know Wilder ain't taking a short end of that one but yeah. as far as Anthony Joshua's concerned on those numbers he is by far the bigger draw yeah no interesting point Joe actually good point well made right the Kinahan of the week let's let's jump in there Tyson Fury Derek Chisora 3rd of December at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium we won the league yeah. we won the league <laughs> why not later <laughs> We won the league at the shit hole. Sorry, I can't help myself. <laughs> what a terrible fight. Oh. The fitting of a terrible venue. Exactly. That's what I say there. Yeah, exactly. Total dross at a dross stadium. What? I mean, what they are serving up just takes a bit. They're, they're asking people to pay top dollar. Yeah. Let's go flipping the dregs of Tottenham. I know. On a December night where it's likely to be raining zero degrees type stuff do we know if Tottenham have a retractable roof I do we care, don't. We don't care. <laughs> if you go to that fight you deserve to get rained on yeah, exactly <laughs> absolutely good point Joe good yeah. point yeah um, what an awful night of boxing because there's going to be no undercard either I'm going to play devil's advocate here because I saw uh, numerous interviews with Frank Warren and his I mean the, his line of thinking and I think Steve Bunce actually to some extent seemed to be Kind of, you can understand why the fight had been made. Oh, what? BT Sports' very own Steve Bunce? <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> I mean, he's got to, you know, <laughs> stand go, up for the channel that he's joke. representing. <laughs> but, no, it's not because of Steve Bunce. So, uh, 
All right, let's go through the top 10, yeah? So you've got uh, Usyk, that fight's apparently going to happen in February, March. Mm-hmm. So he's he can't, Fury can't fight him in December. You've got Wilder, no one's interested in seeing that. He's fought him three times yeah. already. You've got Joshua. They obviously say they tried to make the fight, but Joshua didn't want it. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, you've got Dillian White, who he's already beaten easily not yep. so long ago. You've got Joe Parker, who is his mate, and he probably ain't going to fight him. They're yeah. all kind of like, they just seem like... And it's a bit soon for him anyway. Yeah, exactly. Who else you got? Joe Joyce. I, don't, I think Joe Joyce has just, just fought, so he's not unlikely to fight for a while, and he came back from uh, uh, an injury prior to that, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not sure, but in essence, playing devil's advocate, there was quite a lot of the top 10 that you could mm. factually say quite reasonably just weren't, we weren't able to get the fight done with. Okay. However, and Andy Ruiz. Oh, Andy Ruiz. Ruiz. No. Luis Ortiz, Michael Hunter, Martin Bacoli, yeah. Otto Varlin, Frank Sanchez, Philip Hergovic, Tony Yoka, Daniel Dubois. Why couldn't any of these fights be made? Uh, July Zhang. Okay, um, so let me go through. I'm now looking through, and I'm going, all of these are better fights. All of them are better, more interesting fights than somebody who you have already beaten mm. twice, mm. the second time more decisively than the first. Yeah. And I'm going to go even further here. I would say that Tyson Fury now has improved more than the Tyson Fury comparative to the Tyson Fury of that second fight yeah. than Derek Chisora, who is a legitimate, actual, pretty much a sort of fringe contender yeah. at the time. Now, I know that some people have Derek Chisora after that win against Pulev in the top 10. That's an absurd no, ranking. Yeah. I don't know who had that. I think maybe the transnational rankings had him there. I think you're right, mate. Stuff like that, which was utterly ludicrous. The guy's coming off several losses, mm. and then he went in and he beat an old shot-worn... Pulev in a really entertaining fight that could have gone either way. Mm. That does not get you into the top ten. Yeah, so I, I, we are in full agreement. Let's just be clear that this is the Kinahan of the week. So, in terms of the list of fighters who you who, who you provided, it's evident that Tyson Fury is not interested in fighting any of the hungry young up and coming fighters. He's not going to fight someone like Daniel Dubois, for yep. instance, or Philip Hergovic because too big a risk for too little reward they're probably not going to sell as well and Tyson Fury will sell but Daniel Dubois is not going to sell so well Philip Hergovic no one's interested especially after that Zhang performance I think he'll struggle so you're looking at some of the old timers really Luis Ortiz just lost to Andy Ruiz Andy Ruiz is apparently due to fight Deontay Wilder in an eliminator fight I so the, f- the, f- the, the, the issue that I have is that I don't really care whether or not Tyson Fury wants to fight in December to keep active. The bottom line is you're not fighting enough anyway, so you have to fight the best available opposition. Now, as hardcore fight fans, I think he should fight someone like Daniel Dubois hmm. or Hergovic. I think that'll be a wicked fight. You know, a young, hungry up-and-comer. I don't want to see him against someone like Luis Ortiz. Mm-hmm. Not interested. Or even Zhang. Not interested, to be honest with you. But put him in there with, a, you know, a re- someone like Dubois, actually. That would be a really interesting fight because you've got someone who's, you know, young, but still got had some good experience recently. Um, he should be fighting... The- 
the problem, the big problem with this fight, irrespective of whether who was the best available opposition or not, is that it's a glorified sparring match. Yeah. Derek Chisora is going to get absolutely battered. And in fact, it might not be a serious fight because we think, I'm sure you think the same, Tyson Fury might carry Derek Chisora through that fight. You know, it's essentially uh, a joke then. Mm. It's not a real fight. It's a showcase of some pantomime, really. That's what it is. And it just makes a mockery of, you know, of the, of the heavyweight division or of, of, of the title and how, how you, you know, whether you're willing to put it on the line and, 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 and get that reputation, give the heavyweight title the reputation it deserves. Yeah, when you do all of this stuff about being a fighting man and a gypsy girl, and it's in your blood and your lineage <laughs> and all you care about is fighting, you don't care about money mm. and you're going to give all your money away. Yeah. And all that. When you say all of that, mm. you can't go and then make very obvious sort of anti-sporting yeah pro moneyed decisions like that i don't yeah. know i don't know, it didn't really come across correctly but do you understand what i mean yeah yeah totally understand. Yeah, you, can, yeah. you can't really sort of sell out in that way when you when you build your whole image yeah as as he has on on this sort of down to a fighting man it doesn't sit right with me but mm. anyway you know, also another thing i would say about this a point about the fight which makes it particularly bad is that any mismatch in boxing, we always go, especially up at heavyweight, they got a puncher's chance. Yeah. Gillian White doesn't have a puncher's chance. D Derek Chisora. Sorry, Derek Chisora doesn't have a puncher's no. chance. There is absolutely no way, even if he hits Fury with the most perfectly thrown right hand, yeah. that that puts a serious dent in him. I mean, if Deontay Wilder's exactly. perfectly thrown right hand can't knock out Tyson Fury, and I think it's pretty obvious that Tyson Fury has this, he's just not going to get knocked out by Deontay Wilder. He has a Derek Chisora has zero chance. <laughs> so there's no jeopardy in this fight. Yeah. So there's nothing to me that you can sell it on. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, it's a shame. It's, it's abysmal, really. Yeah. Right, let's move on to a segment before you do your magazine lottery, Joel. So because there's not really much going on this week, we decided to do a top five domestic dust-ups ever segment. And I sent you my top five. So what I'm going to do, Joel, is I'm going to read out my top five, you read out your top five, and then we'll have a discussion of the fight. So okay. number one, uh, Eubank, Ben. Yep. Number two... George Groves, Carl Froch, number one, that first fight. Um, number three, I've actually changed my mind on on this one, the the order. So I'm gonna go with um, Michael Watson against Nigel Ben mm -hmm. for three. Number four, I'm gonna go with Alex Arthur against Michael Gomez, and then the final one I'm gonna go with is Matthew Macklin and Jamie Moore. Okay. What about you, Joe? What are your top five? So I've got a slightly different. I've got number one, Eubank versus Ben. Yep. I have number two. Yep. I have Watson versus Ben. Yep. Number three, I've got Groves versus Froch. Yep. Number four. Yep. I have the only one that's completely different from yours, I think, is... Frank Bruno against Joe Bugner. Oh, nice. Yeah, okay, interesting. 
And at number five, I have Joe Kozaki versus Chris Eubank, just because it's two of my favourite fighters of all time, and they met in a ring together. That's funny, actually. So Joe Kozaki, Chris Eubank was was in my top five originally. I had it at number three, but I rewatched it. Uh, in preparation for for the pod and I mean it's a good fight don't get me wrong but I thought oh actually I think I was maybe more involved at the time so should we start on this one talk about this one quickly as we just started there yeah so Joe Calzaghe v Chris Eubank which is in your top five Mm. not in mine I mean this this was the arrival of Joe Calzaghe but it was also a brilliant fight because it really uh, laid testament to the top-notch qualities of Chris Eubank as a fighter. This was an acid test fight uh, for Joe Calzaghe, which he passed with flying colours, but he was taken into deep, deep waters Mm. in that fight and hurt a couple of times, especially towards the end. Yes, and... At the beginning of the fight, he hurt. He went, came racing out the blocks and hurt Chris Eubank left very hook. badly. Yeah. Left hook, and it was the worst thing he possibly could have done because he then tried to finish the fight. Mm. Chris Eubank was still standing there at the end of the round, and you listen to Joe Kazagi talking about that fight. Mm. Yeah. Basically, he looked at him at the end of, I think it was the second round, and went, oh my God, he's still here. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he went, I'm never going to make it to 12 rounds with this guy. Yeah. Because he was already just absolutely knackered. He yeah. really just... So it was a perfect learning fight for him where he, yeah. he sort of still won. So the reason that I picked this, it scrapes my top five, is that it has huge historical significance yes. for British boxing. Yeah. This was a passing of the torch from the old guard to the new. Yeah. This was... It was actually Steve Collins' belt. Yes. The WBO, and he vacated it because he didn't want to fight Joe Calzaghe. Not a surprise. As, yeah. <laughs> not the old guys don't in that situation. He actually never fought again. He just retired. Yeah. But he didn't want that work. And so a vacant title fight was made for it. And they put him up against another one of the old sort of super middleweights who sort of carried British boxing through the 90s. Yeah. And there we were. That's why they got in the ring together for this vacant belt. And Joe Calzaghe did not let go of that belt for the rest of his career. He owned that WBO belt until his retirement yeah it's amazing making over 20 defences I think it was and don't get me wrong when he won the title from Chris Eubank there the WBO wasn't considered one of the top belts in boxing it was similar to how the IBO is perceived at the moment oh okay yeah however back then it was still a big fight it was big in this country huge historical significance it was a fantastic event for British boxing and it happened at a nice rink which I always think is, is nice Oh, right, yeah. One of your favourite hobbies, isn't it? (laughs) Skating and ice (laughs) rink. I find it relaxing. Yeah. It's interesting, actually, that you bring up that fight because we should both... We should discuss, actually, fight number one that we've both got, which is same man Chris Eubank against Nigel Benn, which was for Benn's middleweight uh, title at the time. What a fight this was. I mean, this was the very definition of domestic dust-up where there was genuine animosity between the two of them. The build-up was huge. I remember, I mean, this was on ITV Mm. and it probably would have had something like 17 million people watching. What a fight it was. I mean, it was... It was a fight in which both of them were very badly hurt on several occasions. Mm. But I thought very early on that the the one fighter who had his mind on the job, so to speak, was Chris Eubank. He was a bit more calm. He was ready. He was much more willing to 
you know, bide his time and pick his shots properly. And that's why I think he was much more accurate. There were several times actually in that fight where I thought Ben was ready to go and then he somehow would turn it around and he would hurt, hurt Eubank. Eubank actually went down, I think, in round eight of that fight. Ben had a fantastic round eight, funny enough, that this was the round before he eventually was stopped. Mm. Um, he hurt uh, Eubank in that, in that round, but Eubank pulled it off. I think he, he caught Ben with a peach of a shot in the ninth round and his legs off. went, basically. Yeah. Richard still jumped in, didn't he? He did, and yes. it was one of the most emotional moments you'll see in boxing. Yeah. Richard still jumped in and the audio picked up Ben's sort of howls. He was crying. He was, yeah, yeah. You know, it was devastating for him to lose that fight and he felt it immediately. Mm. You know, for him to be reacting like that then... He must have been in panic mode, knowing it was about to be stopped, and he couldn't do anything about it. Yeah, yeah. And then ref jumps in, and he just let out this sort of guttural sound. Mm. And it's sad, you know, if you're invested in in Chris, you in Nigel Ben, mm. and everyone had a picked a side in that fight. It's one of those. These guys were like chalk and cheese. Yeah, exactly. Like, they really were, wouldn't they? And they ate each other. I mean, Chris Eubank at the press conferences leading up to it he just refused to look at Nigel Ben yeah yeah. And he, you know what he said he said it's one of the great lines in sport he said I'll be looking at his face enough while I'm punching it <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't want to he didn't want to engage with him he knew that acting that aloof yeah. from someone who was so salt of the earth yeah. was just going to mess with him hugely mentally yeah, exactly. and it did and he, he couldn't fight to a game plan Nigel Ben on the night we all thought by that point that he would have learned his lessons from the loss to Michael Watson, Michael Watson. exactly yeah. and he basically showed the same flaws yeah. years later when we'd all thought he'd made so much improvement yeah but what a not I mean we talk about the these aspects to the fight the reason that both of us actually have it in our number one, it will be twofold. I think I can speak for both of us here. Is mm. The rivalry yeah. went on, which was so visceral. Yeah. And then the big one, though, it was a serious dust-up. Yeah. Yeah. It was one of the most high-level technical um, brawls you're yeah. going to see, where they were both technically good. Yeah. And they were throwing 100 punches around and just, it, it was one of those ones, the classic, it was a championship of each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and obviously Styles Mesh there, Ben is the, you know, uh, brawler, aggressive, mentally capable of losing it and lunging in. Also one of those, Ben is one of the one of the few fighters, I don't know, uh, You maybe you can come up with a few more, who actually could be at his most dangerous when he was most badly hurt. Oh, You've Joe seen, Calzaghi. yeah, Joe yeah, Calzaghi, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so all these intangibles just made it such such a great fight. And yeah, it was yeah, one it was, of those. It was brilliant. It, it's the sort of it's, fight though that shaves years off your career. Absolutely. But also another one of those fighters was Chris Eubank as well. Yeah. I yeah. mean, if you look at that second Watson fight. Oh gosh, yeah. How he I came mean, look back. What happened I mean, there? I yeah. mean, he was hurt beyond belief. He was done. He was completely done. Some if. What happened in that fight hadn't have happened. That probably goes down as the greatest knockout in boxing history. Serious. Yeah. Wow. I mean, think about it, when you actually yeah. think about it, he'd been so brutally battered for the whole fight. Yeah. And it was such a high profile fight. It's such an important night for boxing in a stadium fight. Mm. It was huge, this. Absolutely massive. Mm. Getting absolutely destroyed and then gets floored at the start of that 12. And the first thing that happens after he gets floored, is he almost kills the man. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what's interesting as well is that um, I, I 
couldn't put that fight fight on a on a list because of For the tragic events and you know Michael Watson obviously mm. his life was never the, the same after that but that was a brilliant fight I mean that fight probably you know without the that that ending would almost certainly go on the list well so does this not do a service a disservice to Michael Watson like, well, don't, don't we that's why we put, had Watson yeah. Ben in the list, mate, because the ha- we had to have N- M- Nigel Watson in one of Michael these. Watson, we've got Sorry, to Michael Watson. Sorry, Michael Watson. We run the risk, and I've, I've thought this for such a long time, that we forget, A, what a good fighter Michael Watson oh, was. brilliant. He was probably the best of that bunch. He was, I think so. Technically, he was. Yeah, by, he was the best boxer. I mean, uh, I mean, he was a brilliant boxer. That guy could box, properly box. Yeah. The way that he... Why don't, why, why don't we talk about the Watson-Ben fight, actually? Yeah. Because this ties in nicely. So, uh, uh, Michael Watson against Nigel Ben. Ben Nigel Ben was unbeaten at the time. I think, in fact, his record at the time of the Watson fight was 22 wins, 22 knockouts. He was an absolute phenom on the British scene. Mm. And he was expected to dominate this fight. Yeah. And Michael Watson, I think, had lost one. Not to... Um, Mike McCallum. Not Mike McCallum. He'd lost to some else he had British fight lost, thing. Yeah, it's James Cook, Cook actually. James Cook, James Cook, it, Cook yeah. who's now a, a sort of famed Hackney trainer. Yeah. Yes, he he had he was under the radar. He'd had promotional problems from for a lot of his career actually. And yeah, coming into this one, which I think was it nineteen eighty eight or eighty nine? Gosh yeah, yeah, no. Look I here. can't remember. It was eighty nine, so it was in May eighty nine, yeah. um, this one. And yeah, it went into it like that. It was at Finsbury Park, in a yeah. tent in Finsbury Park. Yeah. We've both probably spent a bit of time there at festivals and stuff down the years. Yeah. And it was a raucous night. You always had this sort of army element, didn't you, with Nigel Ben? Mm, it yeah. felt a little bit like... Squad. Well, he was in the army. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I'm saying, but it always felt a little bit of his fights. It felt a little bit, you know, squaddy on their night off. Yeah, Do yeah. You know what I mean? It could go off a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And it had that feel in the air. And Nigel Ben, yeah, he just came out 100 mile an hour, didn't he? This was, the, I think, probably the perfect fight that showcases Michael Watson's unbelievable boxing talent because in there with the big puncher the big brawler who who was I'm guessing at the time fairly strong favourite to win that fight Mm. you know Nigel Ben's reputation was fearsome at that point definitely he was a knockout artist I mean he was coming to take your head off Mm -hmm. Michael Watson what really impressed me about this fight was that he he wasn't willing to give ground but his defence was still superb, mm. and and one thing he he which he did in a lot of his fights, but especially in this one, was that he cupped his um, gloves really closely to his ears. Because yeah. you know Nigel was, Ben is a hooker essentially, well, to be fair, so that he was, was really style. blocking a lot of the hooks, mm. the body shots. But at the same time, he wasn't willing to just fight on the back foot, jab, jab, jab. On the inside, he was re- what he was doing is he was countering Nigel Ben really cleverly, yeah. and I think. I, actually, I watched this um, yesterday, and I remember watching it, and I, I, and I was thinking, Nigel, uh, sorry, Michael Watson's boxing really well after two or three rounds, and then it just it, uh, from the third round onward, it just seemed to be like ebb and flow. Like Nigel and um, Ben would somehow come back from looking like he was out on his feet, and he hurt Michael Watson a few times in that fight more so than I remembered. Mm. It, it got me thinking, oh, bloody hell, Michael Watson actually got quite badly hurt in this fight too. I think there several times he got buzzed early on. He, but as you say, it was this defensive style of his. He had a very similar style to Winky Wright. Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. it's the same sort of thing. It was just the sort of peekaboo. You got your gloves up high, 
Mm. Oh, and you can barely even see. Yeah. You know, but then just pumping out every time you get close, pumping out that jab. And that's what he was doing all night. Yeah. yeah. He was he was using the jab as a really potent attacking force. It was a jab, I think, that put Nigel Ben down in that fight it as well. Was, and that was the was. shot that fit finished it. So do you know Nigel Ben's excuse, excuse for losing that fight, Joe? Hang on a sec. I think I do. Was it uncastrated boar? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was possibly even better excuse. Oh, yeah. Go on. His cornrows were too tight. Oh, because he's what he on his hair. Yeah, yeah he got his, his weaves done that quite morning, tight, wasn't it? So yeah. he'd done it that he got it done that morning, and he said he was in agony when it actually came. It's coming out of the ring. He was, his head was in agony, Jeez. and then obviously taking punches to your head on top. So yeah. that is Nigel Ben's explanation. Yeah. So anyway, to our listeners, do watch that fight because it's it was more of a barn burner than I realised watching it. Um, right. So those are th- three of those, or no, two of the fights I think in our top five. Should we talk about another one that's in both our top fives, which mm-hmm. is the George Groves, Carl Froch first fight? I mean, are, the reason, probably the real reason this one stands out for me more than anything is just the first round, the way it started, which no one expected. George Groves absolutely flattened Carl Froch with that peach of a right hand coming in, and he looked like he was done. It was he exactly up, as George had said he would do. Exactly. He got up on, uh, you know, really queer street, wobbly mm-hmm. legs. He also got caught again at the end of the round quite badly. He, I mean, he said in the interviews after Carl Froch that he, um, he couldn't really remember anything mm. from up until maybe round four or five. It took him that long to clear his head. And you can believe it, he fought like it. Like he didn't know what was going on. Exactly. He was just in survival mode. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And then, of course, the fact that Carl Froch managed to pull it back, get back in the fight, and then obviously had the fairly controversial stoppage, um, Howard Foster stopping the fight after a Froch onslaught. I can't remember which round it was, eight or nine, maybe. I think it maybe. was the eighth, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the, you know, let's be honest, the consensus not. was definitely that the fight was stopped way too soon. I mean, George Groves had put on an unbelievable display. He'd, re- he'd, he'd essentially outclassed Carl Froch Look, for the, large parts of that fight. The tide had turned in the fight. Yeah, the tide had turned. I know about yeah. that, but the ref gave Carl Froch so many chances earlier in that fight where he could have stopped it. Yeah. Where the first round, the second round, the third round, the fourth round, all these rounds, the ref could have, if he was a compassionate ref, Yeah. he could have stopped it. The first time George Groves was in trouble, yeah. he jumped in, and that's not on. Yeah. You've got to be even-handed. I'm not saying that Carl Froch wouldn't have knocked him out 30 seconds later. It's very possible. Yeah. But when you talk about a young fighter like that in a situation like that and a massive title fight on pay-per-view, mm. of course we're always looking out for the safety of the fighters. However, there's got to be a balance there between that and mm. the event. But it's a sliding doors moment as well for George Groves because let's, Huge. you know, I, I sort of disagree with you in a way. I don't think that the fight should have been stopped in the second, third round. I mean, J- Carl Froch was I'm taking punishment, it should have been. but he, he never no, looked... No, Joe, sorry, I yeah. didn't say that I thought it should have been. Yeah. I'm saying that it could, could have been. been. Yeah, if you're exactly. using the same criteria that he stopped it in the eighth. Or yes. That, that's what I'm saying. Totally, anyway, yeah. Sorry. I mean, what he what I think Howard Foster has done is he, you know, he knows Carl Froch is a man made of, you know, stone. <laughs> so he's gone, well, you can't, no one knocks this guy out. I've got to let the fight continue. And then, you know, the first sign of George Groves being hurt... I think he's 
Maybe he's panicked, I think, you know. He's, yeah, I think ooh. the reputations came into it, yeah. I think. I think he's, George Crowe's probably had a reputation of being slightly chinny, slightly fragile. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that made this fight so great, though, was the build-up. So when we're talking oh, about great build-ups, you know, we look at Ben Eubank and the kidology, the, you know, the mind games. You look at the mind games that George Groves played, because George Groves had played Carl Froch like a kipper. He absolutely got under his skin and had wound him up so badly that he mentally was not in the right frame of mind for a fight of this magnitude. Mm. Carl Froch wasn't, and it was obvious from the first round, you know, a fully focused on it, Carl Froch, I think, just does, that does not happen, in, in my opinion. Having said that, let's also, you know, maybe he, I think he underestimated just how good George Groves was. With yeah. that 120%, he definitely, definitely underestimated, underestimated, him. underestimated him. But the, um, but the mind games, I mean, what were some of the things that he said? Well, there was that, um, we well, told him exactly what he was going to do, didn't he? He yeah. said, I'm going to come out in that first round and I'm going to throw two right hands. The second <laughs> right hand is going to floor you. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to end up on your ass. Blah, blah. And saying all of this. Yeah. He just went out and did it. He, but he did a little bit of the old Chris Eubank on Nigel Benn stuff. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? He's got Cole Froch, who's just this. Salt of the earth. Just, Salt of yeah. the earth. He fights and he fucks. Yeah. Like, that's what that does, <laughs> right? And George Groves is a bit more of a thinking man. He's sort of a young and modern sort of guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he's into sports psychology. And yeah. He's with Adam Booth and David Hay and they're always looking for a little angle here, angle there and all yeah. that. And they're, they're smart people. Yeah. And George Groves started doing all of that and just playing with him. Yeah, yeah. It no, it was brilliant. I mean, fun the to watch, mind it? games from Groves are fantastic. They were that. brilliant. That is a brick. That, I mean, that was a brilliant fight. It obviously set up the second fight, which Carl Froch put to bed. But so there was a lot going on in that fight as well for George Groves. George Groves had been with Adam Booth for his entire career. Yes, yeah. And they split just yeah, before that did, fight. Yeah. And I think there was easy in the fourth or something. I've got in my head Paddy McGuinness, but it's obviously not Paddy McGuinness. I can't remember who was Paddy uh, something or other was in his corner yeah. for both of the Froch fights. Okay, they yeah. actually seemed to, he was a sort, you know, he's an Irish train, no? he seemed, you know, they seem to get on really well. They actually seem to be a really good fit, actually. Mm. I seem to remember back in the day. But it was a turbulent time. He'd actually fallen out with Adam Booth. Mm. So they weren't really talking in the lead-up. Yeah. And when it came to the fight, biggest fight of George Groves' career, and he's there, all of a sudden, it's almost like on his own. Yeah. It's without the old team with him, the Haymaker team. Yeah. And, you know, it would have been tough for him going into it like that. And it then brings me on to when they, when he lost the fight, Adam Booth did go to the fight. Yeah. And he went backstage and after George had lost, there was just this thing just show Adam just hugging him. Yeah. And, you know, George was very emotional. Yeah. And it was, hopefully it helped them sort of, you know, Heal their relationship yeah, a bit, maybe. Yeah, a little bit. Because when you go through, they they prepared their whole careers for that moment, yeah. and it happened, and they weren't together. Yeah. And actually, with Adam Booth in his corner, might that have been the difference? And getting Booth's instructions, you know, before that second round. Yeah. Yeah. Great fight. I mean, great fight. Brilliant. Great rivalry, and what a career both both men had. And one thing about those two is is neither of them were ever in a dull fight. No, exactly. They were those sort of boxers. They gave 100%. Yeah. Each and every time in a room when you put two of them in a ring together, oh, it's going to be fireworks. Yeah. 
Right, so here's a here's a fight that I have. I'm not sure you had this one on your list, Alex Arthur against Michael Gomez. It's brilliant. Fight. Oh, I can't. I watched it yesterday, and I actually thought that this could come close to being number one. Number really, one. just from pure that. enjoyment. Yeah. Alex Arthur was an. Uh, I think he was a fairly heavy favourite going into that he fight, was. wasn't he? Yeah. Alex Arthur. He was tipped for big time. things. Yeah, he was tipped for. The top, the absolute top, and he was a. If I recall, wasn't he a good amateur as well, Alex Arthur? He did have a good amateur yeah. career. Yeah, I think he'd won a Commonwealth gold. Yeah. Now, what I remember about this fight was Alex Arthur was really badly hurt within like the first thirty seconds of that fight, and he looked in. I mean, he looked like it could be a first, you know, an upset first round stoppage. And then from that point, I just, I can't, it was just such an attritional war of back and forth ebb and flow where both of them just unleashed absolute hell on one another. Um, I, I found that fight quite difficult to watch. Yeah, it was a hard, I mean, the, the ref should have stopped it before the third knockdown. Yeah, I mean, Alex Arthur was before. The, way, before. way before, probably. Yeah. Alex Arthur, there was one moment where he went down and he turned and he looked at the camera and he just smiled because it was that embarrassing. You know when you'll see it often at your school mm. when you tell children off and a lot of the time they just start smiling. They don't know what to do. They're not yeah. taking a mick out of the teacher or whatever. They're yeah, just, it's just embarrassed. They're yeah. embarrassed in front of the class. Yeah. And that was Alex Arthur that night. He was an embarrassed little kid. He's had his pants pulled down in front of the class. Yeah. <laughs> and he given all the talk beforehand, which is a boxer's right to do, and he went in there, and you know what, though? He backed it up in the ring. Mm. In terms of, he was way out of his depth that night. Yeah. And the heart that he showed to survive yeah. for the, those five rounds yeah. was quite incredible, really, when you think about it, because he got an utter beat in there. To, to be it fair... Was a career, a career ending almost yeah. beating to be fair there were times in that fight where it looked like he might have just turned it round but I'm not sure I think I don't agree with that Joe not I think that he was in front of a raucous home crowd and I think that you know this was in Edinburgh mm. and he was, he was he was expected to win this fight mm. and I I just think that everyone was getting behind him every punch he was throwing was you know, cheered to the rafters. I, I, I never got the feeling watching the fight that Alex Arthur was about to take over what, or that Michael Gomez was going to win. No, watch it again, actually, because there's a couple of moments in that fight where Michael go. it looks like you think, oh, my God, what Alex Arthur's hurt him here. Okay. It doesn't last for long, but it's of, when you consider just how fucked... Alex Arthur was early on. How he even managed to somehow bring it to, to being close at certain points yep. was a sort of miracle anyway. And that rebuilding job took a long time. Yeah. And and then for, for our listeners who don't know, I mean, Michael Gomez won by TKO. He put Alex Arthur down three times. Alex Arthur, on the, when he got up the second time, that's when the fight should have been stopped. He was in mm. big trouble. Oh, terrible trouble. But the third knockdown was completely unnecessary and he took a heavy landing on that one. I think that was one where people were, you know, worried. But yeah, I mean, it was just vicious. If you want to watch, see what two people going beyond the, the you know, the capabilities of what, you know, ordinary people like us can do, just watch that fight because it's incredible. Right, the last one that was on my list was um, Matthew Macklin against Jamie Moore, which I watched actually earlier today. And um, that was just another one of those fights where I think it was for, for nine rounds, they just absolutely 
wouldn't take a backward step. Jamie Moore was class in that fight, though. G was Very he was a good boxer. He was you know he, he was tight, but he was hurt badly in a, 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 in quite a, quite a few points. So it's just as was Matthew um, Matt Frank, you know Matthew Matthew Matt, Macklin. Yeah, Matthew he Macklin. had a a sort of boxer puncher style. Jamie Moore, which I always thought looked terrible against low level of opposition. Yeah. And when he stepped it up in fights like this, he yeah. had such a fan friendly style. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was really great to watch. And it was one of those ones, it was in some sort of leisure centre or something, wasn't it? This one. Leighton Leisure Centre. Leighton Leisure Centre. <laughs> swimming or not swimming with your daughter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, and this was a fight where. It was a 50-50, a big, a real 50-50 fight coming in. In fact, I, I remember the odds were... probably a slight favourite. No, though. the odds were dead on, dead were even. They? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, both were five to six, were so, they? Um, and yeah, again, just a, a, a crazy back and forth. And I think what was really amazing about this was the pace that they kept up for those nine rounds, I think it was. Mm -hmm. uh, Jamie Moore getting the stoppage in the ninth round. He had... Um, uh, Matthew Macklin hurt and it was just one right cross that just finished him he hadn't been put down before mm. it was the dehydration the tiredness he just got caught with a peach shot at when he was yeah, at his was most dumb. tired yeah. went down face but, first that was it but you've described it so well because that's exactly what happened he was so gone mm. he could have been pushed by his nan exactly and he would have fallen face first he would have yeah exactly but as it happened he was he was hit by a flush shot on his chin yeah but <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't have taken much yeah yeah and and, and again I, I have to put this on my list just because of the you know the ferociousness of it the ferocity it was just a brilliant fight and it's one of those where you just can't take your eyes away no. from it for, you know for any second there were there were, was there one or two fights in your list Joel that um, weren't in mine well so I'm changing my fight <laughs> yeah. from one Frank Bruno fight to another no, no Frank no Bruno against Lennox Lewis yeah I'm going for that yeah. that okay. was the true battle of Britain yeah and so this one so I did have Frank Bruno against Joe Bugnar which was a huge huge fight at the time and which also as it happened launched Barry Hearn really launched him in boxing yeah because uh, he made just a ton of money off the fight yeah uh, it was a sort of pretty much retired Joe Bugnar uh, new upcoming champ in, in Frank Bruno and it got him over and it went off it was a massive fight it wasn't yeah. a brilliant fight but it was a massive fight yeah now Lennox Lewis versus Frank Bruno this had nasty nasty needle leading into it okay there was it was obviously two black guys and there was a lot of it was very racially charged okay going into it so why though well Frank Bruno was calling Lennox Lewis Canadian and saying well, he's not really British you know? yeah. even though Lennox had grown up here he lived here until he was 10 yeah. went off uh, fought for Canada yeah. in the Olympics uh, but came back to have his professional career over here but he yeah. didn't sound English did he? No Now in turn <laughs> Lennox Lewis was calling Frank Bruno an Uncle Tom because he was very popular with your sort of British white grandmother and stuff like this. He was just a popular British figure at the time. Yeah. And, you know, had to, he, you know, he was on the telly a lot and he was having to play this family friendly, very bland figure, yeah. I guess you could say. And Le Lennox was essentially saying, well, you're not acting black enough. Yeah. And, you know, it's really distasteful. They hated each other going in um, I've got an old VHS video of this one actually and they did a brilliant thing oh, nice. you know, it's the Sky box office and 
you know, going around Cardiff and uh, Salford, um, <laughs> Woking, wherever, you know, and they're asking butchers and market stallholders and, you know, just people walking down the street. Who do you think going to win the fight? How do you see the fight? It was just, a, it had massive British interest. Yeah. They went in there and I'll tell you what, Lennox Lewis is probably the greatest British fighter of all time. Yeah. He's certainly, for me, in my top three heavyweights of all time, British yeah. or otherwise. Mm. Frank Bruno is not. Mm. Frank Bruno is a good basic fighter. Mm. Well, not a basic fighter, sorry, that's that's unkind. Um, he, he's got the best out of his abilities, I'd say, Frank. Yeah. And he fought mainly off his physicality and strength. He went in this fight and he totally outboxed Lennox Lewis yes. for several rounds. Yeah. In the and fight. it was a jab, wasn't it? Was it brilliant. He was sticking that jab out all night long. Yeah. And it was impressive stuff. And Lennox Lewis was in all kinds of trouble for seven rounds and he then landed a Hail Mary right hand in that seventh round. He did, yeah. That just sent Frank to Queer Street. He yeah. was all over the shop. He didn't know what was happening. He ended up sagging on the rope and he had this look, his face had instantly swelled up, swollen up mm. and he had this look of fear on his face mm. knowing the incoming yeah. and something had clearly happened to his eyes yeah. and he was he was sort of wandering off in one direction yeah. and he just saw the punches coming in from Lennox it was a scary end to the fight and Mickey Van the referee jumped in yeah. and it was a very similar end to the Frank Bruno Mike Tyson second fight yes. in fact where yeah. he just yeah. sagged against the rope taking punches and the referee had to save him but it was a fantastic event uh, yeah. um, at, at the Cardiff old Cardiff Arms Park actually on the night that Joe Kawasaki had his debut yes yes I mean it was, an, it was a great fight but it was also an interesting fight in the sense that we look back now on the career of Lennox Lewis and we you know he is the heavyweight of probably our generation mm. almost certainly certainly one of the you know easily top five on that night he wasn't at his best no he wasn't at all uh, in fact he was like you say seemingly outclassed I wonder if it was outclassed but I wonder if the conditions played a part it was though. it was cold it was, it was freezing cold, wasn't rainy. it yeah, yeah. he came to the ring with foil on yes he? he had those foil sheets in the corner he was wrapped up in towels and foil mm. he was obviously feeling it and didn't yeah. like that at all exactly but he you know he managed to pull it out of the bag and it was a fight as well that sort of revealed Frank Bruno's good qualities as a fighter but also mm. his you know his less good qualities is you know he was the sort of fighter who if you hurt you could take him out yeah he had that once you had him hurt he could it was go. game over yeah um, yeah he couldn't recover he didn't exactly have Tyson Fury's powers of recovery no no or mine but, but he did have his heart <laughs> Yeah, and he because he, he was never really like knocked out or stopped. He he was always saved from himself, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah, the referee saved him from yeah, himself. Yeah, Bone Crusher Smith, he was saved from himself. Um, the first Mike Tyson fight, he was saved by the ref, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah. The Lennox Lewis fight, yeah. as you say, saved by the ref. Uh, the Mike Tyson fight, second fight, saved, saved by, by the, by the ref. ref. Yeah, 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 yeah right, exactly. Absolutely bang on. Yeah. You know, it's always, always trying. Look, similar to Amir Khan. Yeah, yeah. You know, we'd always get up and try. You know, might be a bit chinny, but yeah. we always trying to fight against that. Yeah, yeah. So um, so there we go. There's a, 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 a list of sorts. Um, we hope mm. you've, you know, enjoyed it. I've enjoyed talking about those fights. I've enjoyed re-watching them in preparation for this. We meandered our way there a little bit, but we got there, didn't we? Doesn't matter, Joel. Who's listening? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> were there any more that were close to making your list that didn't make your list? Oh, there were tons, mate. There were tons. I mean, I could have gone for... Well, Jamie Moore yes. against Matthew, Matthew Macklin. And I had yeah. to really think about that. And I just thought, well, the only thing was is that it didn't have any kind of impact. Yeah. Every fight we've talked about has had real historical impact on the British scene or the world scene. Yeah. Whereas that one didn't. Yeah. So yeah. That, that was the only reason I didn't go for it. In terms of an actual spectacle, yeah. it's probably the best fight. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Probably in terms of two-way action, it's like an Arturo Gatti fight, that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, you know, you yeah. don't get many of those in the British ring. No, you don't. Right, so did I have anything else? Lennox Lewis, Frank Bruno was one I was, you know, potentially close to putting in there. Close to, like I say, picking Chris uh, Eubank, Joe Calzaghe. <laughs> Michael Conlon ain't British. Can't really pick him against uh, Lee Wood. That's not a British nearly, thing. It's not a domestic I, I nearly went for, which was Mark Delaney against oh, yeah? Joe Calzaghe oh, for okay. a British title. That was... A was really, Joe buzzed in that one? He wasn't. He it was just a raucous build up, raucous fight, and it was absolutely went off in there. But it's one of those ones. Please. Right, let's move on to our magazine lottery segment. So, Joel, you pulled out a copy of what did you pull out last so week? I pulled out my copy of Boxing Monthly from April 2010, UK price three pounds sixty, US eight dollar ninety five. Ooh, mm. very nice. Um, so on the front page, this was a. Reservoir Dogs mock-up of Froch versus Kessler. Oh, yeah. And the other stories on the front page were the next best, um, and this was about a preview on Mayweather against Mosley. Okay, but that would have been a past it, Mosley. It was. It was, well, when they thought... He was coming off the win against Antonio Margarito. That was the fight, actually, where he robbed Mayweather really badly. Sure, terribly in the second round. Mayweather looked like he was done in that fight. Only time that's ever happened to Mayweather in his career. Yeah. And another story on the front page was Pac-Man keeps the momentum going against Clotty. Oh, yeah, Joshua Clotty. He was the boogeyman of the division, I remember you saying. He certainly He won that one convincingly on points as well, didn't he? Pacquiao, he did. It was a good performance, if I remember. Absolutely, and it was a terrible performance from Clotty in that Clotty didn't try to win the fight. He Mm. was just sort of ultra-defensive all night. So I have chosen this week to look at Ron Burgess is... I thought you were about to say Ron Burgundy for a second. (laughs) Say, what's going on, John? Ron Burgess. Oh, yeah? He is a good old-fashioned writer, Ron, and he always likes a pun. <laughs> and he's just littered this article with hilarious disses against Joshua Clotty, and even like started just quoting Shakespeare. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to hear this. Brilliant. Right, right, go for it. So he was furious that Joshua Clotty went in there and defended all night, didn't really try to win the fight. So... He then starts turning, he then starts talking about how actually the event turned out to be much ado about nothing. And <laughs> if you're going to compare Joshua Clotty to a Shakespeare character, it would be Hamlet, the daunted Dane. Certainly, that's what he was from the moment he stepped into the ring against Manny Pacquiao on 13th of March in what was billed as the event, but turned out to be much ado about nothing. Yes. Now, <laughs> To fight or not to fight, that is the question <laughs> Clotty seemed to keep asking himself. And he quickly had the answer each time that was not. I thought that was a particularly good one. Yeah. He 
also said that the fight turned out to essentially be shadow boxing mm. or a sparring session. But actually, that would be unfair to call this a sparring session because that would be insulting to the concepts of sparring. At least in sparring, <laughs> the sparring partner throws punches the daunted Ghanaian through nothing except the fight. Oh. Which I thought was a particularly outstanding line. Um, he says that Pacquiao launched... 1,231 punches in the fight compared to Joshua Clotty's 399. But it did make me think. Is that is that a real stat? It is a real wow. stat. But it did make so he's out he was out thrown three to one wow. Clotty, which really shows the intentions of the two fighters. But I do think 399 is that so bad for No, it's not so fight? bad. But I mean, obviously, it's not obviously Pacquiao throwing. <laughs> but this is what I'm saying. Is is this just the, who he was up against here? Um, it, another fantastic line was that Nelson Vasquez and Levi Martinez, two of the judges, uh, were so embarrassed for Clotty that they gave him one sympathy round, although coming up with one <laughs> would have taxed the kindness of Mother Teresa. <laughs> and the guy just keeps going, mate. Um, are these the ones you've circled? These are the ones I've circled because <laughs> I thought it was a highlighter and I went to put a, a highlight through the line and it just crossed the line crossed out the line. I couldn't read it and so <laughs> we're, one, we're one quote down alright um, he said problem was whenever he got he got hit he would throw three times in response which to Clotty seemed about three times too many yeah and then he actually started just quoting Hamlet this is what Pacquiao has and Clotty does not. He has the pride to accept the risk of his job, which we talk about a lot, don't we, Joe? Yeah. Clotty instead spouts Hamlet. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arms against the sea of troubles and by opposing them to die, to sleep. Hamlet, Act 3, Scene 1. Well, Clotty chose to sleep. Yeah. Wow. Like, he, he was just absolutely um, acidic. I would say. So he said, I mean, one of the things is he doesn't think like a champion, he won't take risks. We talk about it often, don't we, Joe, yeah. where a fighter gambling to win a fight. Yeah. And you've got to put yourself sometimes in the position to get knocked out. Clotty didn't do that on this night. Yeah. Also, maybe. Why didn't think, he do it? Well, I think he throws in a big moment. I think also he was up against just some absolute phenom in Manny Pacquiao. Mm. You know, he, he, he Pacquiao in at this time was just pure unbeatable. Yeah. Which was actually going to lead me on to a point quickly. Was he unbeatable? Was I always have Pacquiao's next fight, which was against Antonio Margarito, as the fight which ended Manny Pacquiao's peak? Yeah. Maybe it was this one. Maybe yeah. he'd already peaked. Yeah, yeah. Maybe actually the Margarito fight was one last great performance. Mm. Maybe he'd peaked and just come over that hill against Joshua Clotty and he couldn't quite because all the lead up to that he'd been in very one-sided fights yeah. where he was incredibly entertaining still he was the most entertaining one-sided fighter in history yeah. where he could be in one-sided fights and he'd still love every second of every round that was his one in that run from David Diaz through to Antonio Margarito which was a dud yeah that interesting right I think you better um Pass me the stash, Joel, so I can pick my magazine out. Good choice, by the way. Really like that one. There you go. 
I have pulled out an edition of The Ring Extra dated April 2007, which on the front cover features the man we've just been talking about, Manny Pacquiao. And this is a year-end awards issue, so unsurprisingly, Manny Pacquiao gets Fighter of the Year 2007. Who did he fight in 2007? So Manny in 2007, that This was part of his all-time great run, wasn't it? Yeah, that would have been David Diaz in 2007. That was when he was moving from lightweight up to... He was about to make the jump. So that would have been... David Dion was Fash Kung 3K battery in 2007. Gosh, I'm not sure. I'm thinking it would have been after the third Morales fight. So 2007, he fought Jorge Solis. Yes. Which was a, a great win, actually. And the second Marc Antonio Brewer fight. So it's actually a quiet year for him, 2007. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, I have this edition anyway, and I shall have a look and get back to you with my thoughts next week, Joel. How much was it? This one cost... This was £3.95 in the UK. Jesus Christ. Yeah, but Ring Magazine was expensive. <laughs> it was really it, has expensive. Has Ring Magazine gone out of... Um... No, it's still going. It's still going. Yeah, Oscar De La Hoya runs it these days. Oh, OK. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Right, on that note, Joel, we are all done. I've enjoyed this one, as always. Always have a good time. And uh, we, we hope our listeners have enjoyed it too. I'll finish as I usually do. Joel, any final words? I love you all. And on that note, goodbye. Goodbye.